This is Alex Kashuta talking to sex researcher Michael Bailey. And culture, along with race, of course, and yeah, those are the big two, I would guess. And how did we get from there to here? Well, I'm not sure that I have a theory of that, but I could probably speculate a bit. But I do want to clarify something. You said that uh, if you search, you find these little websites about uh, how evil... Those are not little websites. Those are big websites. <laughs> they, I inspired quite, you know, the... Uh, resurrection of complete websites trying to uh, basically liberate how uh, evil a person I am and how wrong I am. So, yes, and I think they're still there for people who want to find Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, you know, obviously kind of a, a rundown of, of, of all your crimes, and <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it is interesting to see how much energy has been poured into this. Um, it, it's, you know, for, it's about as thoroughly unconvincing as, uh, as you know, the, the title, the tagline that you're the most un- We're all uh, vulnerable, but, you know, we're all vulnerable in different ways. And uh, Steve Saylor says of all the groups that, you know, he's tangled with, the most vicious are, you know, a certain subset, okay, you know, a minority, not, not all, not even most, but a minority of male to female transsexuals. He says they have fought back harder than, than any other group of which he's aware sexologist in history sounds extremely empirically testable <laughs> but, uh, yeah they, they put up websites calling this guy michael bailey the, the most you know unethical sexologist in history i mean i think that the main problem that these uh, activists have with you is correct me if i'm wrong here it's the fact that you've been advocating in a way this uh this, this kind of theory of kind of autogynophilia autophilia, and uh, there's kind of um, a taxonomy of of transsexualism especially male transsexualism that is not accepted by the current uh more high-powered members of the, of the transsexual community. So they would like this type of research, this type of knowledge to not be common knowledge. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. And uh, if you would like, I could uh, spend a little time explaining yeah. the ideas that... Um, so autogynophilia is it's a paraphilia, which is a sexual interest. For, uh, and it's quite unusual. It's hard for many people to understand. It is a man's sexual arousal by the idea or fantasy that he is a woman or possesses a woman's body, or the activity of imitating a woman, like cross-dressing. And autogynophilia is one of the two main motivations why natal males, that is, uh, people born male, have transitioned to women. Uh, the other being uh, very feminine homosexuality. So Ray Blanchard is the scientist, he's also a psychologist, who came up with this two types theory. and. I knew Ray. I, I know Ray. Ray's a friend. But I, I knew Ray for uh, several years before I learned about his theory. Uh, and I had already been interested in transsexualism, and I had already been saying things about transsexualism. And I was frankly uh, embarrassed when I learned about the theory that I didn't know about it. Because, you know, I was a scholar, of, uh, an alleged scholar anyway, of sexuality. And autogynophilia is completely different than most people understand transsexualism which was transsexualism was the word that we were working with until fairly recently when it's become, for some reason, politically incorrect, which means I will keep using it. Uh, transsexualism is the word for people who want to change sex. So an autogynophilic transsexual is a person born male who typically discovers during adolescence that they're really sexually aroused by the activity of putting on panties or bra, lingerie. Okay, and just for this theory, all right, because it kind of denied the the narrative that you know they always felt like they were a woman right just for this guy propounding this theory right all these uh transsexuals have done everything they can to try to make his life miserable okay, generally 
looking at themselves in a mirror and typically masturbating. Nobody teaches them this. They discover it on their own. And a subset of them become adult cross-dressers. They may even like to go out in public dressed as a woman. And a subset of them will transition. They will actually get medical treatment to become trans women. These people are all attracted to women. They're not attracted to men. You can think of autogynophilia as inverted heterosexuality. For some reason, in these people, the external attraction to a woman gets... Okay, so according to his theory, that those transsexuals who, you know, don't act feminine, right, this is why they trans, make that trans journey from male to female, not because they've always, you know, been feminine or felt like a girl, it's just they've always had a fetish of themselves, you know, cross-dressing or dressing in women's clothing and essentially having sex with themselves. Inverted inside, they, their primary attraction is, is to the idea of themselves as a woman. And they will, uh, the, the imagery that they like and, and what they might put on themselves is analogous to what a straight man likes in terms of, uh, you know, I, I guess this is dating me, uh, like a Playboy uh, or, or a penthouse, you know, a, a very very sexualized woman wearing, you know, uh, lingerie and, and a garter belt and so on. Yeah, none of these women, uh, the trans women, are very fashionable. The, the kind of older in life, uh, autogynophile typology, they, they all look a little bit kooky from my female perspective, but yeah. Yeah, so I said before there are two types, and I, I should say a little about the, the other type, which Ray Blanchard called a homosexual male-to-female transsexual. And it's a little confusing because homosexual, what does that mean? You know, it's homosexual with respect to their natal sex. So they were born male. They like men they like men only they have no interest at all in women any male to female transsexual who has any interest sexually in a woman is not this type and they are feminine from early on childhood these are the little boys who uh say they want to be girls they are dressing as girls uh as four years old and so on they are just effortlessly and extremely feminine and they do not exhibit autogynophilia at all they are not sexually aroused by cross-dressing they cross-dress because they like girls' things and they like women's things and they feel more comfortable as women. I knew transsexuals of both types and I think that that enabled me to write this book. I think uh, most people, if they know any transsexuals, they know only one type. And unless uh, somebody uh, is in the gay community, deep in the gay community, they probably know autogynophilic transsexuals who are more common in the West anyway. Mm, that's interesting. That's Autogynophilic, all right, so apparently that's the most common type of uh, transsexual in, in the West, right? They, they, it's not that they've always been feminine, you know, love feminine things, but they, they love seeing themselves, you know, dressing up in, in women's clothing. Okay, here's uh, some more on this conversation here with uh, Michael Bailey. Community of pedophiles who are known to be pedophiles. I think that they're mainly wanting to just support each other and be left alone. And, and believe me, there are people. So he's talking about uh, people with pedophilic instincts, but who, you know, don't act on them. Right? That that uh, they form communities to you know help each other you know, behave in, in a pro-social way. Trying to harm them as a community, which I see as very unfortunate. Again, I think that we should. There, there's stigma against harming children, and we should keep that. I'm not sure stigma against attraction to children per se going to make any difference because I, I think whether a, a male is going to be sexually attracted to children or not is determined by 
Right. Any, you know, any man with a sex drive is going to have all sorts of impulses that are socially unacceptable. Right. So to be a man, you have all sorts of impulses outside of the sexual realm that are socially unacceptable. And I'm sure women do too. So a traditional conservative view of life, I think, better equips you for, for dealing with these things because you understand that you know, everyone has all sorts of impulses that are destructive, self-destructive, destructive to other people, antisocial, you know, criminal, against God's will, however you want to phrase it. Time he's born. And I, I want to bring a dilemma up to you, and I want to do it as sensitively as I can. Um, so give me a moment. I, I know you've recently had a child. Uh, so, but I don't want to talk about your child. Let's talk about a mother who has a son who she raised, and he's been a good son. She loves him, and it turns out that adolescence, he discovers he's attracted to children. Every pedophile in the world had a mother, and I'm pretty sure every pedophile in the world had a mother who didn't want him to be a pedophile. What would she want for this son? Would she want him to be demonized and set off from? society she surely wouldn't want him to act on his feelings or would she want him to be helped in the best way possible there's no help that will make him not attractive to children it just you know people try we don't know how to do it, 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 it someday it might involve some kind of brain surgery but we, we don't know how to do it uh your example about sex drive reduction castration chemical castration that can help somebody who has who's at risk in fact, my uh, first introduction to this topic was that I was an expert witness for uh, a pedophile who had actually molested two girls by using a toy gun to get them into his car to touch his penis. Uh, and then he, uh, he himself chose to be surgically castrated, which I thought was a good idea for him. But And I, I was for a while uh, thinking that that would be a general intervention for pedophiles. But the more I learned by studying these guys, uh, the more I've recognized that many of them don't need that. They're fine. They're not going to molest children. They're, they're not tempted enough. Yeah, I mean, if, if there's a reliable measure of, of not tempted enough, you know, and that's, you know, been proven <laughs> time and again, I might take that instead of that. Yeah, you know, I'm, I personally am not averse to, to using whatever social tools or even, you know. Every human being has all sorts of impulses that could be horribly destructive, right? It's not like you know, pedophiles are the one group with horrible impulses that, you know, we need to be on the alert for. Like everybody contains the capacity to do you know, massive amounts of harm. Just think about the person who's carelessly driving. And so then as a result, you know, over 10,000 people are significantly late to work because of his careless driving. So it's not like you know, pedophiles are this you know, one category of evil. Biological tools to, to, to solve this problem, but it is, it is a problem. And it is, you know, there is also a little bit of... Um, a little bit of hysteria now related to pedophilia, and I can already hear somebody is shrieking. No, it's, there's not enough hysteria. There's a little bit in the sense that it feels to me like it's it's the last acceptable boundary. We have a culture of consent, and because all boundaries are off, you you have these last little ruins of a of kind of a, a virtuous society. And the age of consent is an, an important red line that even people on the left, people on the right, seem to always converge on to kind of hold on in in the consent culture. That you know, it's it's the last vestige of something solid. And it always comes back to, you know, the age gap discussions, you know, how big should the age gap be? All sorts of little negotiations around this red line seem to be the, the what's going on in discourse now. So, you're, you're, but before you go on, you're, you're young, so you don't remember. Maybe you've heard or read about it, but back in the 1990s, we had a general epidemic that I think was actually uh, larger and more harmful than the ROGD epidemic. It was the epidemic of recovered memories of sexual abuse and uh, an associated smaller epidemic. 
so hysterical opposition to a horrible thing like pedophilia right, can do tremendous harm, such as the false memory movement that M Michael Bailey's talking about here. So just because you're, you're convinced you're fighting on the side of the angels, you're fighting against the demons, doesn't mean you're actually going to be doing good. Multiple personality disorder. These were um, typically women in therapy who came to believe during therapy that their fathers typically had uh, molested them over years. When they, they had never remembered this, they'd never thought this until they went into therapy. I personally know someone someone like that. You know, okay. To this day, she maintains it, but just re exactly recovered memory type thing. Anyway. Yeah, they, they, these, these memories are false uh, and have ruined uh, many a family. And I think that they are uh, a result of hysteria. Dennis Prager makes the point that the rape of a name can often be just as bad, if not worse, than a real rape. And so the people, largely women, behind the false memory movement, the recovered memory movement, my God, they have done so much harm. Better not be seeing any snakes around here. So every time, like, I hear a rustling in the bush, I am not happy. About related to pedophilia and child molestation, uh, there have been other, there have been people sent to prison who are innocent, there have been people put on trial, there have been... You know, we, we, we must remember as, as a society that, you know, counting you, you, you whatever America does, oh, it's going to get to you goes. eventually. Many people have been harmed by this hysteria about uh, childhood sexual abuse. And I, I think more people have been harmed than protected by it, actually. But of course, that's, a I guess, a, uh, a discussion to be had and what this probably takes us too far off track. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a sad thing because, I you know, you, you can feel in in the discourse and in, 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 when, when you're talking to people that there are certain areas that are off limits and a lot, large part of the discussion around pedophilia is off limits. Um, and like I said, in a way I understand it because, um, you know, to, to bring it back into the esoteric, I feel like a lot of these things, you know, if, if they're invoked too much, if they're talked about too much, they kind of, they have a way of being sucked into the discourse and self-replicating in a way, you know, there's, there's a lot of talk in kind of the more esoteric corners of the right wing about demonic possession, about demons and things like that. And some of these things feel like they have some some of that quality that, you know, you're invoking these dark and terrible things. And, you know, like I said, as a mother, sometimes I just, <laughs> not necessarily, I don't want to delve into this, but as a sex researcher and people in your field, I think should, and that is your role. And, you know, it should be very much open to, uh, to uh, study because it's... Yeah, moral panics, as the chat says, are frequently, you know, worse than whatever the immoral behavior is that they're freaking out about now. Definitely don't want to go tumbling down that mountain here. Oh, bloody hell.